0: I'm so grateful I'm in the black and white where I cannot drink, right? And I cannot drink in a healthy way because I don't have to think about it ever again. I don't have to like go out with friends and be like, should I have one drink? Can I have one drink? I respect people who are who are successful at moderating, but I'm sort of grateful I don't have to. Is that-
1: From Darkness to Life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey, and you or someone you know need help, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at ourcollectivejourney.ca.
2: Welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life out of the Plugged In Media Network studio here in Medicine Hat, Alberta. I'm Ryan, your host this season. And, uh, I just want to remind all the listeners, you can find us on Instagram at our page at FDTL podcast. Uh, feel free to like, and share all the the content that's on there. You'll find some of our, our podcast guests as well, and the links to their platforms and whatnot. If you're interested in connecting with them, that's a great Avenue and a great space to find some more support network or add pieces to add to your support network, I should say. And, uh, Yeah, with that, you know, we're on, man, I don't even know what episode this is anymore, but season four seems to be flying by, which is amazing. But, um, what I'm really grateful for this season is, is all the listener feedback. People are sending in messages. People are, you know, whether it's on Instagram or our Facebook page, uh, I believe Alana has a TikTok page going, but don't quote me on that. I don't do TikTok. So, um, yeah, keep sending that feedback. Any questions, comments you want to get in touch with one of the guests let us know and we'll, we'll definitely try to uh, hook you up with that because I know how important it is to keep building that support network. And with that, that leads us into today's show and I'm really excited to have our guest on today. Speaking of support networks, um, this lady joins us today from Toronto and also resides, I believe, on the East Coast, maybe Pennsylvania. You're down there once in a while. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I'd like to welcome... Sonia Callan to the show today from Toronto. How are you, Thanks Sonia? Thanks for
0: having me, Ryan. Oh, absolutely. I'm really good.
2: Thanks for taking time. I know you've been, you were down in uh, Pennsylvania, now you're up in Toronto. I know you're you're running yeah. your own organization. Um, you are one busy lady, so I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to connect with us and share with our listeners, you know, some of your journey and more importantly, um what it was like, you know, what what you did, what the turning points were, but what you're doing now yeah. and and I really love I've had a lot of opportunity to explore Everbloom, the organization you created earlier in 2023, I believe. And uh yeah, I'm excited. We'll get into that later on, but I'm excited to for you to share that with the listeners because I know a lot of ladies that reach out to us. I I think will really this will resonate with them what you're doing. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. Welcome and uh why don't you uh, introduce yourselves to the listeners? They don't have the privilege of knowing you. I got to know you last okay. week or two weeks ago on Zoom, and we we had a great conversation. So, yeah, share with the listeners a little bit about yourself. And
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm Sonia, and I was born in Toronto, Canada, and kind of grew up as a very, very anxious child of Indian immigrants, Um, anxious about everything, anxious about like fitting in socially, anxious about academics. Um, There's a lot of pressure. And so, yeah, my earliest memories are just being, you know, sort of this very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. kid. And so, yeah, I found alcohol pretty early. And somehow, I think, sometimes I think it's a curse, was able to really be successful while still having a very successful drinking habit. And Mm -hmm. so um, it took me a really long time to admit there was a problem. I got like a bunch of degrees. I started a business. I sold a business um, all while drinking really heavily. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I sold the business and had a minute to reflect, realized that, you know, I had a pretty significant problem with alcohol. Yeah. And that is sort of my story. And then went through some personal things um, where I realized I really needed a sober support group and couldn't find exactly what I was looking for. Um I'm, you know, I don't know if you noticed, like after you get sober, I just was more introverted. I'm not like the life of the party. So yeah. I can't jump into a group and be comfortable. And so I just started thinking, I need a group where I they know my story. I don't have to repeat my story every time I'm there. There's a consistency to it, so that is where we are now.
2: That's amazing. And you know, I the one piece there that jumps out at me is that piece around retelling your story. Right? You, how many people do you run into? I know I run into a lot that won't go to another um, support or or be open minded enough to go to this other support based on man. I'm going to have to tell my story again, and I've told it a hundred times to a hundred different people, and.
0: Ow. There's something about the continuity and I I didn't realize it until I thought about like the relationships that were really nurturing like in my life, like my sister-in-laws. And, you know, I didn't have to go through kind of like the gory details. Mm-hmm. Like we were just kind of like upward progression. Like I remember, you know, it's like I don't have to explain that I was drinking how are many bottles of wine? I don't have to go through it. It's it's not you know relevant after sure. a certain point. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know I've worked with a lot of individuals that uh, or talked with them, right? That well, I'm not quite that bad yet. I only have six beers. Yeah, right? it's about numbers and quantity. It's not about what it's doing or why we're using it. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah I'm hesitant when people say, "How much were you drinking?" I'm like, "That's not really the point." Um, because, you know, I, I was, it was a crutch, right? Yeah. Regardless, I was, and I couldn't not do it. And so mm-hmm. that to me is a problem regardless of how much.
2: Absolutely. Right.
0: Volume and is. Yeah.
2: A hundred percent. And we're talking, you know, this is a different conversation than, you know, the full blown chronic alcoholic who is going to need to disclose that, you know, in order to, you know, medical detox, these types of things, supervised yeah. detox. Right. So we're yeah. not talking about that level of, of uh, substance abuse, but. I get what you're saying. And that's a huge roadblock for a lot of people. One thing you talked about, you mentioned how relevant or how you talked about your childhood, right? And, and how that experience that, you know, that, that fitting in the, the belief system you had, whatever that was at that time for you, how relevant do you think that was followed, you know, going through your entire life? How big of a piece did that pay, play, do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that for um a while after I got sober I really just focused on I was addicted and mm-hmm. not why was I addicted. Um and I feel like too like we don't really talk about mental health that mm-hmm. much. Like we really focus on addiction, which is important. Um but for sure I was self-medicating, yeah. right? I was self-medicating extreme anxiety and and some probably mild to moderate depression. Um and you don't know that the alcohol is making it worse yeah. because it works for sure, right? It it works for uh, like a minute, or it works for you know it works for a couple of hours, and then you're kind of right back where you started, if not worse. And so, yeah, I'm really now feel comfortable saying, yeah, I was self medicating a mental health issue, um, and so now I really focus on you know, with my coping skills, like, okay, so we know there's anxiety. So that's the main issue. So what are the other coping skills I can use Mm -hmm. to work on my anxiety other than a
2: substance? Yeah. Well, I think like you said, right, that's obviously for a lot of people, you know, once you get to the other side of it and you do a lot of self-reflection and you start doing that work, you recognize that, you know, alcohol does amazing things. It does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Right. But if you're using it for, a coping mechanism, which a lot of us are, we just aren't, you know, we're not privy to that information at the time. It's, it does what it's supposed to do. Right. And it works really well until it stops working. But,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, how many people, how, like, do you want to admit, well, I have this alcohol addiction and a mental illness. Great. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I think it's sort of like baby steps, right? Yeah.
2: yeah, absolutely. That's the double, double whammy on the stigma, right? Now I have an yeah. alcohol issue plus a mental Um, health concern. Right. And it's like, Oh man, who am I going to talk to now about this? And that keeps people out there stuck for a very long time. That stigma, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, You mentioned, Oh man, this is exactly the reason that I should take notes while I'm doing a podcast, Sonia, but I don't take notes too often. One of the things you mentioned was um, the mental health piece. Right. And, and a lot of people out there I'm hoping will resonate with this piece, right? I know a lot of people that I connect with don't recognize that piece, that that's their coping mechanism is the substance. And, and how do we stop using the substance when that's the only thing we know that, you know, helps us navigate our, our, our life, our obstacles, our whatever it is, our adverse experiences or, you know, and, and how important is that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that um that's why the beginning of sobriety is so hard, mm-hmm. right? Because you still don't have the coping mechanisms. And when someone tells you, like, oh, just go for a run, it's like, <laughs> well, that's not gonna work right now. Like the run is not gonna take away this like intense craving. And over time you realize, yes, the run in combination with journaling and mm-hmm. all these things that um that when I was drinking, I sort of like mocked a little bit, like mindfulness oh, and meditation. My yeah, all those things do add up, right? All those little coping skills. But I think I think it's important for people to know nothing is going to work as quickly or as well as alcohol, Yeah. right? It is like a silver bullet for you're anxious and you have a glass of wine and you feel better. And being sober is not... You, you need to put a lot more effort yeah. into dealing with problems like that. You need to find a way to fall asleep even if you are going through something difficult personally without sure. having a glass of wine. And so, yeah, it is, it is really, it is really tough at the beginning. I think when you're still developing the coping mechanisms.
2: Yeah. I I love how you, you know, that's something that reverberates around this studio lots is that, you know what the alcohol, the drug, it works amazing. Right. And I'm not here to glorify it, Eight. but right. It, it's like, I've said this in a podcast just recently, right. Am I going to go through, you know, finding a support group, finding a therapist, six, eight, ten months of whatever this looks like, or am I just going to take a bump of this or a swig of this and numb it all wow. out in the moment? And it works very quickly. It's And its it works exactly how it's designed to.
0: And it's also lifestyle-based where I was working so much mm-hmm. that I would come home exhausted at mm-hmm. like 8, 8.30. And like, what are the options at that point, right? Yeah. a bottle of wine and then it just becomes a habit. And so, yeah, I just think, I think that's also why sobriety is so life-changing because you really figure out so many other things about yourself and so many other interests and hobbies that you were just using alcohol to fill that time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, you hear this all the time from people in recovery that they're grateful to have gone through what they went through there. They're grateful recovering, whatever it is. Right. And, uh, I remember hearing that early on and I think that's so delusional. How can you be grateful for that? But now that I, you know, put a few years behind me, I'm like, man, I, I get that. I'm grateful too, because of exactly yes. what you just said, right? I've, I've got to dig in, take away that crutch, take away that coping mechanism. What's left. I didn't know what was left. So now it's an opportunity to, it's like unpackaging a whole uh-huh. new life. And, and what do I really like? And what do I, what do I get to do today that I filled with drugs and alcohol before?
0: Yeah, I think too, I don't know if you feel this way. I'm so, I and, and I work with a lot of women that are in that gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so grateful I'm not. I'm so grateful I'm in the black and white where I cannot drink, right? Yeah. And I cannot drink in a healthy way because I don't have to think about it ever again. Yeah. I don't have to like go out with friends and be like, should I have one drink? Can I have one drink? <laughs> um, I don't have to like relitigate this like decision, right? And so I think that- yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I, I respect people who are, who are successful at moderating, who mm-hmm. go from having some borderline issue to like really successfully managing a healthy relationship with alcohol. But I'm sort of grateful. I don't have to, yeah. I'm sort of grateful that I pull a menu, like someone gives me a menu and I don't even have to look.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I completely resonate with that. I get it. Cause I'm, I have the same that attitude of gratitude, right? I, I am very grateful that I don't have to stand in that gray, like you just said. Um, I just know it's not an option. I know I don't drink like other people can and good for them if they can. That's yeah. everybody's different, but I know if I have one, I'm likely yeah. at some point going to drink till I'm homeless again.
0: Yes, that's exactly it. Right. Like <laughs> I will hit, um, I'm like that rock bottom person, but I think, I think the issue for me when I do try to like coach people or help people um, who want to moderate is mm-hmm. that there's a fine line between having a glass of wine at dinner and using it as a crutch. Yeah. And so for us to figure out where that line is, is almost like when you feel the need to drink, don't. Yeah. And when you don't feel the need and you're having a nice meal, do, yeah. right? Like, but I'm just, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's just interesting how the spectrum.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like how you put that, right? When you when you feel the need to drink, don't. And, and that hopefully will resonate with a lot of people that are maybe floating around in that gray space because I used to be like that, right? Man, I'm looking at my watch, man, I can't wait till five o'clock and I can have a drink. Well, that's four hours away. So I'll just quit work at three o'clock today and go have a drink because I need one. Yeah.
0: I think that, um, yeah, I think there's something that the people in that like light gray area don't realize that like my entire life revolved around alcohol. Mm-hmm. And even though I may not have and and even though I was like, successful at other things and it would have seemed it revolved around work and like my career and my husband, my ex-husband, um my family, it didn't. It yeah. revolved around alcohol. That was the overarching thought was okay, if I leave work, is the liquor store still going to be open? Or should I leave a little bit earlier so the liquor store is open? Or can I get alcohol delivered? Is there, like, does Instacart deliver if I leave a little bit later? And so that's a lot of mental space.
2: Oh my goodness, absolutely it is, right? And, And I don't know about you, Sonia, but I didn't recognize that until I got on the other side of it and really started to explore, you know, all the adverse experiences I'd had through my life. And just about, I'd say if I had to put a number on it, it it's probably 98% of everything that I had done or, you know, anything negative in my life revolved around or had some sort of alcohol involved with it, whether it was in the moment, whether it was after drinking, whether it was leading up to it, there was alcohol involved with just about everything.
0: I can't believe it. And I notice it now when I do things that would have been impossible. Like I had my birthday like a month ago and I went out. um, I had a meeting from like seven to eight. I went out with my teenage nieces at nine o'clock for dinner. And that would have been for so many reasons impossible. One, I would be wasted by nine (laughs) o'clock on my birthday. And two, wouldn't want to hang out with these teenagers. And it's just like such a different life that you don't, I didn't even realize I was missing that. I thought I just didn't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to hang out with teenagers on my birthday. For sure. Um, but I really did. I really do want to hang out with those teenagers.
2: <laughs> right. Until we start doing it in recovery. And once we get on the other side of it, it's, it's something that's never even crossed our minds before, or, or we couldn't fathom, you know, for myself doing those things. Cause that's what other people oh. do. And I have zero interest in that, but yeah, like you said, turns out I kind of do like it.
0: Yeah or like I don't like kids. It's like no, I don't want kids to see me drunk. It's not appropriate. <laughs> right? <laughs> um I don't hate kids, you know.
2: Did you ever have the experience? Now here's one that really hit home for me when I got into recovery and I went to my first wedding. It would have been a couple years into recovery.
0: Yeah. And I was
2: looking around the room thinking, man, not everybody gets bombed at these yes! things. Like I used to think hey, everybody was trash cuz I was that guy.
0: I mean, I always say to people, like, I never understood the point of having one drink. Like, I don't get it. I was, I know I talked to you about my, my like online dating escapades. Um, I was on a date last night and the guy had one glass of wine. I was like, well, why, why would you do that? Like, why don't you at that point just have a dessert? Like I wouldn't even, so there is something. So, and I think also, I don't know if you didn't, if you realize this, I was the ringleader
2: Mm -hmm.
0: of the partying. Yeah. I did not think that I was, I thought every, we were all at the same level, Right I was the one setting the pace and making everybody worse.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my journey, I had one friend who drank as heavily as I did or more, and I could coax him into, you know, almost putting that ringleader hat on him without him knowing it. So he led the party, but I was pulling the strings behind the scenes. <laughs> I look at that now, yes. right? And then that way yes. I could blame it on him.
0: And that was especially with drugs, right? Like, I- I'm not going to buy the drugs. Yeah. But I am certainly going to encourage you to buy them and bring them back. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: going to push you to be like, yeah, I think, yeah, that would be a great idea. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, that was a big thing, Not realizing that there are people that have a normal relationship with alcohol. Yeah. And I'm not one of
2: them. No. Yeah. Not
0: everyone is, like, trashed at a wedding Right? Like that crazy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We have that conversation here a lot, myself and our producer, Dave, because Dave isn't, he doesn't have what I have and he can sit down and have, you know, a glass of scotch after work on a Friday or something and, and just have that one. And I'm like, man, I don't know how you do that. That's not how my brain works. The whole bottle will be gone.
0: And also like, this is interesting that I never really wanted to hang out with mild drinkers. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of don't understand why someone who drinks would want to hang out with me now. But if you have a normal relationship with alcohol and you have a glass of wine, you don't care if I have a glass of wine. Yeah. Like on New Year's Eve, you don't care. Like there's no difference between me and like anybody else. But I didn't want to go to New Year's Eve with somebody who is not going to get crazy.
2: Yeah. They won't be any fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love, you know, we've shared, you know, some of the stuff that uh, took place early on in your life and some of these turning points and some of these moments. And, you know, a lot of the light bulb moments came on for you and and you decided to change the trajectory of your life. and And I applaud you for that because anyone who's done it knows it's not easy, but it's so beneficial in the long run, right? Once those gifts start showing up, man, it's like, why didn't I do this earlier?
0: No, I get so emotional about it, but I don't, how do you feel about this? Like I when people say, like, what's your biggest regret, not even related to alcohol, and my instinct is to say I didn't stop um I didn't quit drinking mm-hmm. earlier. Then I think if I hadn't if I had quit drinking earlier, it would be so my life would be so different.
2: Yeah,
0: like I quit at the exact right time mm-hmm. for yeah. me. Yeah. And so I don't really have that many regrets, right? do you how do you feel about that? I do definitely... you wish like did you wish you had never taken <clears> your first drink?
2: You know, I went through that early on. I wished all these things, right? I should have done this. I, how many times have you should yourself today, right? I, I used yeah. to go through that all the time until I worked with my therapist and they, you know, don't beat yourself up over those things. And one of the things I look at now today is, you know, the only real regret I have is the people that my carnage impacted. That's the regret, right? That now that I.
0: That's mine too.
2: Yeah. You're removed from the situation because I know in active addiction, I thought, man, this is. I work hard. This is my money. All these things. It's my life. I should be able to do what I want. And I'm not hurting anyone else. And now Yeah.
0: And I the people I feel the most guilty are my the teen, I have a younger niece, but my teenage nieces. So during the majority of their life, I was drunk. And mm -hmm. and I say that to them. I'm like, do you sort of wish that I had been around when you were younger? And they're like, You're here now. Yeah. Like you're here now. And I'm I'm like, I'm there like I'm at graduations. I'm like, I'm hitting it. I'm there to meet the boyfriend. Like I'm just, I'm crushing it. I'm crushing <laughs> being an aunt. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and yeah, I think that's important to hear that too, that they don't, they don't wish I was different either.
2: Yeah. That's really cool. And that's good feedback. Good feedback for yourself to hear. Right. Cause I know a lot of us that get on the other side, we have these regrets or we wish we had done things different. We can carry that, that grief and that, that shame still with us, even in recovery, right? It's still a piece that eats away at us for so long. So for your, uh, nieces and whatnot to give you that feedback, that's really cool to hear.
0: Yeah, it is. It's yeah. And yeah, I just think back, like, I don't think I would have made some of the decisions I made good or bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I wasn't drinking. Um, I don't know if I would have been so ambitious at work. Right. Um, if I didn't know that I could come home and get really messed up. Right. And so, I don't know if I would have done like the, yeah, work hard, play hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't even like, it's like, you can't even unravel what your life would have been.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the ongoing debate. A lot of times is, you know, I talked to so many people in recovery and, and the common thread is, you know, we're at the right place. We ended up at the spot we were supposed to end up at. And, and I a hundred percent agree with that. Right. I'd never be doing what I'm doing today if I didn't experience the things I experienced and yeah. took the knowledge with me and was able to use that when I needed it. Right. And yeah, I don't think I would change anything other than yeah, the impact I had on, on my immediate family and circle. Right. But but still, you know, it might sound cruel and harsh. That led to where I am today. I, I, I've said this before. I needed my wife at that time to kick my ass out and divorce me to, to be able to really see the consequences of my behavior and my addiction.
0: Yeah it's interesting so mine was the opposite that getting sober led to my divorce. Yeah. Um I think that he you know you marry like the party girl and the party girl you know 15 years later is is like I want to talk about my addiction in public yeah. and really want to help other people that are struggling and that's not <laughs> Not everyone is into that. Right. Right. And so, and, and people want to be able to go out maybe and get their party on. And so if you're not up for that, I think in a sense, you're no longer compatible. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. For sure.
0: And that's what happened to me.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that piece. Cause that really takes me back to, you know, when I was in treatment and my therapist was telling me that, you know, that was the end all be all for me. I thought, man, this is who I am. I'm married, all these things. Right. And, and I don't know what life would ever look like without that piece. Cause that's who I am. I've been that way yeah. for 17 years. Yeah. And uh, that when they said to me, you know, your spouse, this happens a lot where your spouse might not like sober you at some yeah. point. Right. So that really the, hit home for me. I was like, what are do you, you mean?
0: Kidding? <laughs> I was like, I was the shock that registering the shock that this guy was leaving because of the changes I had made by getting sober. Yeah. And I thought, what, what sort of message does this send to people? <laughs> <laughs> you get sober and your husband leaves, right. but it's not that right. Mm-hmm. It's that I became who I always wanted to be. yeah, And that wasn't, it was no longer compatible with the person that he wanted. And that's okay.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad that you said that, right. It is okay. And I love how you worded that. I became the person I always wanted to be because I knew deep down in my heart, you know, I was in the oil and gas industry for almost 20 years. And I'm like, near the end, that last 10 years or five years, I was like, man, what is the purpose of all this? What am I doing? Right. I work my ass off 80 hours a week and we bury everything we do. So you never get to see any of it. Like what is the purpose of getting up today to do this job? Like it was so purposeless for me. I had no passion for it.
0: Yeah, and finally <laughs> it's like yeah, I agree. I was so my business was I I was an orthodontist and I grew like a fairly large practice and I'm not sure I ever wanted to be an orthodontist.
2: <laughs> yeah. You no, know, I don't remember that in like, career day where I thought, "Man, I can't wait to be an orthodontist."
0: Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I want to have my hands in people's mouths. Um I just but when i think you're drinking and mm-hmm. i think you are you're sort of numbing that inner voice and yeah. so you just keep going mm-hmm. right like you i feel like you you just that trajectory is already set and For so sure. i was never going to think maybe i need to a career change yeah maybe i need i just don't think i had the mental capacity at the time when i was mm-hmm. drinking to even think that
2: And do you think maybe this played a part in your story too? I know it sure played a part in mine and a lot of other people who have that high functioning ability to keep doing what they're doing, you know, paint that really lovely picture on the outside for everybody to look at behind the scenes. You're, you're doing whatever you're doing, right? Addiction is running rampant. Do you think the lifestyle that being an orthodontist provided you, you know, whether it's the income, the social circles, the, the network of people, all these things contributed to, continuing down that path. Cause I know for me, I didn't know what else I could do to make that kind of money to live this lifestyle I was living. Yeah. And that kept me sick for a very long time. I was too scared and fearful. I was, I was terrified of what life could look like. How am I going to, I got to downsize everything because I'm not going to make this money.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting that we have a similar, yeah, it's similar that we, in order to get sober, I had to stop doing the thing I hated. Mm. Because there, there is no coping mechanism to get you through, you know, 12 hours a day of being miserable. Yeah. Right. And so, or just not feeling fulfilled, I would say more not being fulfilled or knowing that this sort of wasn't maybe what I was meant to do. And so, yeah, for sure. And then what's interesting is that what we were meant to do was something related to addiction. Mm-mm. Right. So it's like, how would you even know that until yeah. you stop all it, absolutely. of this? Right. And so I think, yeah, it was really interesting. I think for so many reasons, I think there's like social pressure. I think, yeah, the lifestyle um, and it takes a lot. It takes a clear mind to mm-hmm. make decisions like this is not as important as I thought it was.
2: Right. Yeah. I think that moment of clarity, right. That clear mind is, is crucial because you can come up with all these wonderful ideas or, or the wish list, but until you, a clear mind to make these decisions and put them into action because everything else is just a thought until we start taking the steps to do it right and that was you know for me that's what expedited this journey for me was that moment where I ended up back in treatment after I tried to take my life and and everything was on the table then my wife was done with it you're out (laughs) and there's no finances left my career was gone all these things and I've talked about this before but that's what I needed I needed to be at ground zero to start looking at, man, I can go back and find another job similar to what I was doing. That's easy to find, but where's it going to lead me? And I'm not, it doesn't fulfill me.
0: Yeah, I think, well, so that's an interesting concept too, right? Like you, you would say there was a rock bottom for and me, not yes. everyone has that. And so I think sometimes when you don't, it's like for you, it was like, okay, there's only one option out of this hole is I have to get sober, but not everyone's faced with that mm-hmm. either or.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, yeah. that's a tough part for me. You know, when you're, when you're talking with somebody and you're sharing your lived experience and you're building that connection, right. For me, the person who can stop before they hit that moment where they they blow their life up is, is groundbreaking for me. Like that was not me. Right. I always, Oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's not that bad. You just ride the train right to the end. and So yeah, I love when people can resonate with your story or with somebody's story and the light bulbs start coming on, man, this is maybe where I'm headed. I better start looking yes. at this. And it's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I think I'm one of those people that, I mean, there were like, there were a million rock bottoms. Yeah. Right. In that last year. And then there, or there were none, right? Like, it's kind of like there were, it was just kind of like a slow descent into like my body, my mind um are being destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right. But no, no DUI, right. no, yeah, no, no divorce, like nothing to throw and in my face to say, like, you need to stop. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a that's an interesting thing, I think, for people too, is that without that, we think there's not a problem. Yep. But for me, I think it's just <clears throat> luck. Like <laughs> I think a lot of it is luck. I think I was. Uh, Drunk enough to fall down the stairs and hit my head. I think I was drunk enough to say something crazy to somebody and get my ass beat. Like, (laughs) I think that it's it's really, I'm just so lucky, right? And it doesn't mean you don't have a problem. It just means that your consequences were just different.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I don't know about you, Sonia, but those circumstances you just talked about, right? The stairs getting drunk and beat up whatever right I used to wear those things as a badge of honor and a lot of my friends did that's how you knew you were doing a real good job of having fun right you're in a bar fight you fell down the stairs you yeah. whatever right just this hangover. Chaos.
0: Yeah. oh like I have this man this hangover is crazy
2: yeah right <laughs> yeah. check that box must have been a good time must have been a good time I don't remember yeah oh. for sure
0: yeah I agree I mean I sprained my ankle a couple times um Yeah, or waking up being like that was a crazy night. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. You you have to make something positive out of it when you're doing that much damage to your body,
2: for sure. And I know for the listeners, you know, we're not glorifying, you know, high fiving each other down memory lane here. This is, you know, if somebody's out there listening, and these are the things that are present in your life today, this might be a red flag to maybe take a step back and have a look at your relationship with alcohol. Because, like I said, and like. Sonia said here that, you know, in the moment I didn't recognize any of this. I thought it was normal. Me and my buddies are just having a little bit of a, a little too much fun.
0: Yeah. And I think like I always say like those quizzes, like the am I an alcoholic quizzes, yeah. um, like they they only work if you're honest. And I yeah. was never honest. But no. let's be like, if you wake up on Monday morning and you don't remember the weekend, you gotta think that's a problem. Oh my god, for sure. Right? Yeah. And the fact that I didn't for so long. Is is sad, and it's like I don't want other people to. I don't want people to go through that. I want people to wake up at twenty five after a weekend and be like, you know what, alcohol is no longer serving me. Yeah. I don't want them to wait till they were thirty
2: eight, mm-hmm. for sure. And that piece around, you know, alcohol is no longer serving me. When I was twenty five years old, I had no clue about any of that. Right, alcohol was just ever present. It was just part. Yeah. It was as present as water. Like it was just normalized, and everybody I knew. Now I look back and I see that's by design, but everyone I knew and hung out with drank. It was just a normal behavior. And I had, oh no, I, I had no idea that there was life without alcohol. I, that was my big moment in treatment yeah. was like, how am I going to go the rest of my yeah. life without drinking while I'm camping, while I'm golfing, while I'm
0: oh my God. fishing,
2: whatever. Always had oh my God. a box of beer with me.
0: Yeah. Oh, like, how am I going to go to brunch? Like, how am I? Yeah. But I think also maybe what like the listeners don't realize too, in Canada, the drinking age is younger. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's present when you are in college, like it's there. It's not something you don't have to go out to a bar, like you're drinking, you can go buy alcohol. Um, And so I think that also is so prevalent in Canada when you're so young too, so much younger.
2: Yeah man, I'm going to get some flack for this, but I know I, I moved to Alberta in 2015. And when I decided to call this home Medicine Hat, I started to get embedded in the culture and the city and the community. And and then I start seeing that the that a lot of the high schools have these pre-grad parties at the start of your grade 12 year where, and it's blowing up on social media and and it's about going out for these scavenger hunts all night and getting dressed up and then getting bombed all night long oh and God. showing up for your first day of school the next morning. And it's... To me, it, it looks like it's been kind of normalized, like nobody's getting picked yeah. out of school. Parents are, I get it, you know, if they're going to drink, I'd rather them drink in my backyard, all these things, but yeah. I'm like, what is this doing for the culture of, of our youth that, oh, it just blew my mind when I saw this and it still does every year. September rolls around or late August and I start seeing these posts and I'm like, oh my goodness, how many of these young Come kids on. are going to be requiring services from us in the next five or 10 years? My goodness.
0: I wonder too, I've thought about the like, because I didn't have parents that were like, you can drink in the backyard, bring your friends over. Mm -hmm. And someone asked me, like, do you think if your parents had talked to you more about alcohol or had sort of like encouraged you to do it in a safe way, would your relationship with alcohol have been different? And I don't know that it would have. I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, if my parents had been like, oh, the way to healthy, like, you know, a healthy way to drink is to have a glass of wine. I don't know if that would have helped at the time. I mean, I started drinking when I was like 15, 16. So I don't know if I would have listened.
2: For sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right at that age, it's usually what the parents say, you do the opposite.
0: Yeah. Like I appreciate those parents that like do do that. Like, you know, if you're going to do it, do it in my house and be safe. But I think when you're prone to having an addiction, I don't know that how much that's going to help.
2: For sure. Yeah.
0: I'm just not sure. I'm not saying I know it doesn't, I'm saying I just don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And neither one of us are experts on this matter, right? We're experts in our story and what we've learned through, you know, different types of knowledge. But uh, yeah, I I really like that piece around the youth because that's where we're focusing a lot of our time now is we have a program in the schools here that we've taken our resilience coaches in and, and work with youth, right? And they might not be checking the box for substance use disorder, but some of them have, you know, they're on their way to a really negative relationship with alcohol or substances. And to be able to sit and talk with them about that at that age, right? Middle, middle, middle school, high school age. And not to judge anybody or shame anybody, it's just an, you know, maybe this isn't quite normal. If somebody would have came to me at that age and said, you know, it's not normal to be mixing your hard liquor with flavored beer.
0: <laughs> oh it was normal God. in my house. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what, What is the focus when you talk to kids of that age? Like, what is the message that you're trying to get across?
2: A lot of times our coaches go in there and it starts with a presentation to the classroom so that it's not, you know, try to break down those barriers and normalize what we're doing. And it's presentations to the students about, you know, what our services look like and then sharing our lived experience, whether it's, you know, one of our female coaches or male coaches, it doesn't matter, but sharing our lived experience at an age appropriate level. And what it was like for us when we sat in those desks and what we were doing and what we were using substances for at that point. Right. And just trying to resonate with them that, you know, this is where it took us 20 years later, but trying to turn that light bulb on to, to let the youth know that, you know, I don't know what your home life looks like, what your social circles look like, but this is what mine looked like. And I thought it was normal, but turns out it wasn't normal. Right. And this is, how I developed these unhealthy coping mechanisms and all these core beliefs at that age. Now that I look back and it's just trying to open that door for them to reach out and have a conversation, start the conversation.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder too, like, how do I talk to my nieces about alcohol? How do Mm -hmm. I talk to them about that? Like what, if there's a gene, they have it, you know? And so, um, because my, their dad, um, my brother also was an alcoholic. And so, yeah, I wonder like, yeah. The, the sort of like, don't do it yeah. doesn't work. No, And so there has to be some sort of, I try to like dig deep yeah. into my story um, and, and bring them some nuggets, but I don't always know the right thing to say.
2: For sure. And, and I'm a firm believer in, you know, what's said in those moments is what was meant to be said. And, you know, but now that we're working with youth and in schools, right. It's, it's a real focus on age appropriate sharing. And how are we going to not just tell our story, how are we going to use it to resonate with youth and, and help them move forward? You know, a lot of the, and we'll have some more podcasts on this, but that same program is about coping mechanisms. It's about building resiliency in youth, right? And you hear this all the time that we got to build more resilience and this and that, but how do you do that? So that's the piece that we're going in and we're coaching on now is step one is building that connection with somebody. Cause if you don't build that connection and they don't trust you, you're likely never going to get to talk to them again.
0: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. If you alienate them from the beginning with, yeah. I mean, I say, I say terrible things to my nieces. Like if I found out they had a drink, I'm like, I can't believe you did this. Like totally the wrong reaction. Right. (laughs) But luckily they're, they're stuck with me. But if I went into a school and did that, that would be it. Right. Like You you alienate them by shaming them or by just saying, don't do it without much of an explanation. Yeah. It's sort of like, it's even like, I mean, sex ed, you know, probably the same thing. Just don't do it. Yeah. It's like, well, that's not reasonable. <laughs> yeah, we got to figure out a way to do it safely.
2: Yeah, for sure. All we need to do is Google the the 80s, right? And see Nancy Reagan's just say no campaign. And, and uh didn't quite turn out the way that I think the marketing people hoped for. <laughs> it didn't work.
0: No, it has such a negative connotation now. I feel like we associate that with like, um, like people being over like, over-sentenced in prisons and mm-hmm. like, yeah, like destroying communities by, yeah, imprisoning all these people. And so I think we associate with something really negative. Like yeah. it didn't
2: work. No, absolutely not. There, I've said this before. There's a fellow I know in in the recovery circles that's been to numerous treatment centers and we're talking double digits. And he says, I blame half of those on Nancy Reagan. Cause I tried to say <laughs> no in the eighties and it didn't work. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's like uh it should have been more like a maybe say no and here are the reasons why. But like it was a very like Yeah. Yeah, that slogan was like there was no wiggle room in it.
2: For sure. And and if you're far enough down that rabbit hole into active addiction, that's the last thing that's gonna work for you, is just say no, right? With the brain science behind it. Now we understand a lot more now than God. they did in the eighties.
0: I don't I never said no. No. And even I don't believe I have ever said no to a drug or alcohol ever until I quit. Yeah, Yeah. no, I would. There was no inappropriate time for me. Yeah. To like, it's like like, vacation, 8 a.m. breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Like, that's not how's that weird? I'm on vacation. Like, yeah, yeah, there was never a if if alcohol was available, I was. I was choosing
2: that option. Wow. Yeah. We share a lot of similarities. My goodness. (laughs) Well, why don't you share with us about Everbloom? How did this all start and what is it? And let's talk about that because this is fascinating. And I think it's, you're filling a huge gap for a population out there that, uh, you know, needs it. We all need help and support, but this is a niche that uh, I think it's fascinating.
0: Yeah. So um, I, I, I got sober seven ish years ago now and was, I wasn't worth an honest. So I didn't feel comfortable going to meetings. I didn't want, what if one of my patients is there? What if this? And so I was really white knuckling it. Luckily, my brother was in recovery. He was in AA for like about eight, nine years at that point. Mm-hmm. So I did have someone to talk to. Um, and then a few years into my sobriety, he relapsed. And then I had no support system. Wow. And I went to like every meeting I could. I went to AA, I went to like every online meeting and I was like, nothing is helping. Like nothing is helping. And so, you know, I do. And and it's not to say I love hearing people's stories. I really do. Like it is one of my favorite things is to hear a, a story of recovery. And so, but the part I was missing was that I didn't feel like I had anything to add. Right. And so I thought huh, and then so I, ju- I would just kind of drop into meetings then for a couple more years, and then I went through, you know, something devastating, which is like my husband just picked up and left because I got sober, and that was almost impossible to to deal with. It was almost, I didn't think I'd be able to get through that, and uh-huh. no way was I going to get through it sober. Yeah, I, like, I could, there was no journaling, I couldn't journal my way out of this, <laughs> no. like, Can light candle like there's no bubble bath like this. (laughs) All the like coping mechanisms I had weren't big enough for this, for sure. And so yeah, I thought, what's missing? And I thought I need some sort of sober support. So then I got really serious. So when again went to all the meetings, and I thought, what's missing is (laughs) that I can't like. So every day of that sort of breakup was like a fresh hell, Mm -hmm. right? And so. I, I needed people to know the backstory in order to give them like the daily of what's yeah. going on and what I needed, what I was struggling with. And I realized that the meetings were either too big and if they weren't that big, there was just... Nobody knew each other, right? right. There was no consistency. And so I thought I need to be around people where I feel comfortable sharing my story and that we're really tracking progress, right? Like my sister-in-laws were tracking my progress. Like the the first day I like couldn't eat, right? I had like four tater tots. Two weeks in, I was like, I had 50 tater tots today <laughs> or whatever it was. And so just people knowing, right? Like where you are is yeah. so helpful that you're really getting like real-time mm-hmm. advice. Um, and then a big thing for me was there's no feedback, right? right, right. In almost any meetings, there's no conversation. Yep. And I desperately needed for sure feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I needed to say, um, I feel like having a drink right now. Anybody have any ideas? Like I, Mm -hmm. I really needed that. I needed to hear what other people were doing, what had worked for them because my tools were exhausted
2: by that point. And if I can just just, interrupt for one second, that piece, you know, I, that piece around, you know, lack of feedback in the meeting rooms, right? The support group rooms and specifically 12 step rooms, right? The, that's the crosstalk piece that's not allowed in meetings and whatnot. Right. And, and the meeting happens, you know, that type of meeting happens after the formal meeting where you go for coffee with people and you talk. Right. But my goodness, I am in that same space now where maybe I shouldn't say the same. I don't know if you're in that space or not, but when, you know, 12 step was a foundational piece to my recovery for the last seven yeah. and a half, eight years. And, and I, I've integrated that program into my daily life and don't, you don't have to tell anybody, but the values and the the stuff I've learned from there is part of my life now, but I don't have the time, you know, with my busy life and work and my little boy and my wife and all these things, I don't have the time to go for an hour and a half to a meeting and then another hour for a coffee after that and all these things to get the feedback and have that one-on-one conversation with people. And it's kind of, you know, I just kind of put this together while you're talking is that's the piece that's kind of led me from led me to pulling back from meetings a lot in this last year or so is that I have so many valuable one-on-one conversations with people in recovery or early in recovery that that's my passion. Now that's the part that's fulfilling me in my recovery today. Not so much the sharing, it's more of the two-way conversation that I'm having with people now.
0: Yeah, it is about that lasting connection. And I think another thing, you know, for me, I am between Toronto and Pennsylvania and I you know, for example, I don't want a group that's only in one place. Like I need a group that travels with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have to feel at a loss when I'm on vacation, even yeah. I can still go to a meeting. And so with the same people yeah, and not feel, you know, like there's been a huge gap. And so, yeah, that was so, so big for me that, just wanting to hear, yeah, exactly. Not about the sharing, but just about the talking. And I I noticed too, um, so yeah, so our groups are sort of curated, right? Mm-hmm. Where people fill out information and then I sort of match them into groups. Very and cool. yeah, I noticed that they have so much in common and they have so much to talk about. And we don't talk about alcohol always, right? right? So for example, like I'll get on and be like, guys, so- Yesterday, uh, I had really bad anxiety and I was not feeling emotionally sober. And so I did these five things and it worked. Um, or, you know, for example, like just figuring out triggers. I didn't realize a big trigger for me was when I get treated inequally, right? And yeah. so um, I remember it's like I had a web developer and and he, he really sort of like He said something that he would never have said to a man. He's just like, I think you're overreacting and don't worry, honey, like everything's going to be okay. And that's, those types of things are triggers, right? And so, although it's not about alcohol, it is for me. Mm -hmm. All those things are. The divorce is about alcohol for me. Everything's about, you know, everything's about a trigger and learning to deal with these triggers. And so, and coping mechanisms. And they, yeah. And so, yeah, I totally agree. It's that feedback piece that really yeah, that I was missing in every other group that I went to. And, and I think too, and also like the, ca- the casual piece, like we're very casual, like you don't have to put up your hand because the groups are small and you know each other. And so it's not like a monologue, um, where you get up, raise your hand, say what you have to say yeah, and move on. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of back and forth.
2: I love that piece. And that's, you know, goes to strengthen that community that you're part of now. And that's, we hear this all the time, the opposite of, Addiction is connection. And if you have a small group that you feel safe, understood, heard and valuable in that group, I mean, that's very hard to recreate anywhere in society today, but you've managed to come up with a way to create this, which is the piece that when I said, I'm excited. When I started exploring Everbloom, this is the piece like you've built this, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's honestly better than I thought. And so I was like, we'll make groups and people will talk and, but they stay in touch after yeah. meetings. They have a, we have a Slack channel and if they're having a bad day, they can jump on and, you know, tell people what they're struggling with and, and people will respond. They're friends, right? Uh-huh. They're friends. They know each other. They'll respond and, and people know like, what's triggering like they're like oh are you going to your sister's house today Mm -hmm. that you should probably make a plan for that because you know and so it's sort of you know in between like a meeting and like some very light kind of coaching from your
2: peers oh fantastic and and what size are we talking what size are your groups
0: under 10 people and so that Um, yeah, I played around with the size and realized once you get above 10 is where you sort of lose the interaction and you sort of kind of get people like jumping in with unrelated topics. And so at 10, you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of stay around certain themes. And so, yeah, and, and you can really just freely talk. And so, yeah, that's where we are.
2: That's, that's kind of the number that I've always had in my head is that 10 to 12 people, right? It doesn't matter what kind of group you're running. And uh, it's fabulous because it does work. And I, you know, there's examples of that in our services that we offer here, where we've started a a community recovery meeting at uh, our public library here. That's open to anybody impacted by addiction. Come on out. Well, we're going to just build a community of recovery and talk about what everybody's struggling with. And the first few meetings, there was 40, 50 people showed up. Ah, and it was cool to see those numbers, but it wasn't but, what it is today where there's 10 to 15 people show up and it's usually regular family members that show up every second Thursday. And the conversations are so deep now.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. It's the depth of the conversation. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And I think the group I had been going to myself had 200 people oh, wow. at the meetings online. Wow. And it was like, and there's also this aspect, like if you're not kind of like the the reason I also match people is because those first like 30 days are different, for sure, right? And so I wasn't going to jump in. These people are struggling to get to 30 days, and I'm like, I feel like drinking because my husband left, yeah, and I have five six years of sobriety, and for I'm sure. like, what would those people do to have five six years? And I'm going to sit here and complain about it. And so, yeah, I think be- being around people that you feel like you have something to add or you have something valuable to share i think is important too and and that you have something in common with
2: yeah i think that's a big piece that commonality right i man can i ever resonate with that piece around big meetings i went to one in vancouver at one point where it was in a gymnasium where they had a podium and a microphone and they hand selected the five people who were going to get up and share cuz there was 400 people in this gym and most people were on their phones and the, there was this common buzz through the place people are chitter-chattering in the back rows and it's like, man, I don't know if I would have found recovery if this was my my first stop on the block. I don't think I would have ever come back here because it was so impersonal.
0: That and um, what's been surprising to me, probably even to you is that so because I am abstinent, right? Mm-hmm. Like I haven't had a drink in six years. The number of people we have there in that gray area is fascinating. I would say it's almost 75%. Yeah are not going to use words like, I'm an alcoholic, are not going to say, I'm never going to drink again. Um, But they're looking for some sort of like reset or some sort of advice on moderation. And so I think that that's something you also can't get in some of the larger meetings. They sort of have to stick to abstinence as the only option. And so we have some wiggle room. Like we have people who will say, oh, I went on a date last night and I had one glass of wine. That's a win. That's a win. Yeah.
2: Yep, for sure. I wasn't
0: going on a date having one glass oh of wine.
2: Oh my gosh, no. And if that was the date, once the date <laughs> left, I was having 14 more.
0: <laughs> no, I was having five before the date, then Shou- going on the date. Shower and beers. To
2: get- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. Yeah, there was never just one. I with, Anybody who is one of us knows that there was never just one, right? It was like one in the morning, if you're lucky. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I I think so much about that. Like, why didn't I think it was weird that I was already messed up when I left the house to mm-hmm.
2: go out? For sure, a little pre-drinking. Yeah, it was
0: like more than a little. Like, I I don't I don't know how I like normalized that. Um, like where where I found the denial <laughs> so strong that that was yeah. Yeah,
2: and it was man that takes me right back, right? And I was the exact same way, right? There was always a six pack or something going down before you went out to the function or whatever it looked like. And then once I found drugs, it was, oh, I was just in yeah. it to win it every time. Like it was morning till night. There was no off switch once I found that.
0: And my favorite drugs were the ones that let me drink more.
2: Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, You could do a little balancing act.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think it's those things when I feel like if you can say them out loud, yeah. it's like, uh, okay, that sounds really bad. Absolutely. That sounds like a problem. So I, I like encourage people who are still sort of in it, um, to like share it. And sometimes just saying it out loud, they're like, yeah, no, I did drink every night this week after work yeah. because I was stressed. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we kind of welcome that.
2: Right. And I, I, exactly what you just said, right. I did drink after work every night this week because yeah. I was stressed. And that last piece was the piece that was normalized. In a lot of my circles and people that I work with today, they're like, well, I just need to take the edge off, right? And and those are the red flags for me. I'm like, hmm, this sounds like a coping mechanism, right? Or what are uh, we? What else is there that you can do instead of that? But when I was in it, I didn't think anything was wrong with that.
0: No, no, no. That was what adults did, I yeah, thought. Absolutely. um, Adults who were successful or had difficult jobs would come home and have a drink. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, how was that unusual?
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I knew lots of people that carried a bottle under the seat of their pickup truck just to take the edge off on the way home from work.
0: Interesting. Okay. And that
2: was not seen as something, you know, reportable at the time. People were like, oh man, I wonder how many other people know that. And it was just such a bizarre industry to be in. Oh, craziness. And all that stuff normalized (laughs) back then. I can't say it is now. So anyone who works in the oil and gas, I'm not shitting on that industry at all because I don't know what it's like today, but I'm yeah. guessing if I had to take a guess, it probably hasn't done probably, a 180. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't become like a, a woman's world in oil and gas no, or anything. Yeah, sure.
2: yeah, for sure. So how does somebody get connected to Everbloom?
0: Yeah. So they can just go on joineverbloom.com, B L U M E, um, and just check out the website, see if it resonates with you. Um, There's options to check out a meeting. There's options to have a one on one with me for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes just to talk about, you know, what you're struggling with and if we would be a good fit. And so there's a lot of options to get more information, or you can just, if you feel like it's for you, just sign up and you know we'll send you the info for your next meeting
2: fantastic so like every other show that uh, we host here all of Sonia's contact info will be in the footnotes links to her website uh where can they find you on social media
0: we're either join everbloom or everbloom on everything so instagram okay. join everbloom tiktok everbloom yeah wherever wherever you are we are very
2: cool yeah so all those links all the all the connection points will be in the footnotes so anybody who's struggling to find a pen to write this down right now. Don't worry. It's in the footnotes. You can scroll over there and have a look later. Cause going through the website was very, uh, informational for me. I got to know a lot more than you and I covered in our first conversation. And the more I read, the more interested I was in this, in this group that you run this service with all the various groups in it. And I just know for a fact that, you know, some of our female coaches who coach females here in, locally in Alberta, This will be a place for them to find something new, I think. Cause I, like you said, right. I I know a lot Mm -hmm. of, especially females that don't feel that they fit in the rooms of, you know, AA or something, right. It's just not their jam. It's they don't. And also,
0: yeah, like maybe in medicine hat, it's different than it is in Toronto, right. mm -hmm. The AA meetings. And so there isn't a ton of consistency between the meetings either.
2: For sure. And that's a big piece. I, I love that connection piece you talked about, right? You get to know people more than just for one hour a week and you hear them share on the topic that week and you go home and, and that works for a lot of people. It works for millions of people. So for I'm sure. not, you know, dissing anything, but I'm always leery and I, I promote this all the time. I say it all the time. Be wary of the person who says there's one way to recover, right? A works for everyone. Yes. 12 step smart recovery works for everyone. Yes. I'm like, hmm, that's yes. not true.
0: I'm, yeah, that's a great way to put it. I, yeah, I always kind of like, you know, there's no one way to get sober, but you're right. It be weary of people who say there's only one way for
2: sure. And I'm sure, you know, some people like that. I know a couple I could list them off, but it's, you know, it worked for them. Fantastic. That's great. But did it work for the next two?
0: And also I always say too, like you could have like multiple pathways. So you can go to AA and still come to our meetings. We have people that do that, that they go to AA um, for a certain level of comfort. And then they come to us to have that connection. And so some people want to work the steps and have a connection. And so I think, yeah, I think that's another thing it's like, you can do a few things and maybe you should at the beginning too, like, you know, to figure out what works
2: for you. Absolutely. Yep. For sure. And you know, this always takes me back to the survey, uh, I believe it was in 2017, you know, they surveyed X amount of people in recovery in Canada. So life in recovery in Canada. And one of the biggest things to come out of that, I know a few doctors who quote statistics as well, that, you know, on average people in long-term recovery utilize at least six different resources in their early recovery to maintain and to get to long-term recovery. Wow. And it's, it's so true, right? And it, it doesn't mean you have to have six different support groups, but like you just said, right, maybe 12 step is one of your supports. Maybe Everbloom group is your next support, which leads you to a therapist, which leads you to bettering your nutrition, which leads you to an exercise program. It's all these different things that you're open to trying.
0: I mean, don't think I don't, I play that tape forward all the time. (laughs) Like I do, there's some AA stuff I do all the time that is really at the core of like how I stay sober for Mm -hmm. sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's never, yeah. I've learned so many beneficial things from the rooms of 12 step. But I've also learned just as many beneficial things from my early therapist sessions, my support group sessions, you know, just sitting with other people in recovery and talking outside of support group meetings, right? Just so much knowledge out there. And if we're open to trying different things, we're open to, you know, setting ourselves up for hearing different messages, which might just be the one you need to hear. For sure. Yeah. Awesome Mm -hmm. stuff today. Man, I. I can't believe how fast the hour goes, but you know what, uh, oh. I, I I, definitely know that people are going to visit your website and, uh, I highly suggest any of the ladies who are listening, check this, this service out, check out, you know, if you have any questions, like Sonia said at the start, um, if you have any questions, just log on and, and hit her up on one of the platforms, For Right, sure. have a conversation because it's, it's genuine, it's authentic and it's easy.
0: For sure. Yeah. I hope people, you know, will find their way to it and, and get something positive out of it.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, for sure. And and I can tell you firsthand that Sonia is a, a very easy person to talk with. So if that's the piece that is holding you back, just put that first foot in front of the other, hit the button yeah. and connect because you'll be glad you did for sure.
0: Yeah. And be honest, you know, you can tell me you had 30 beers last night. That is fine. We can still talk about it. <laughs>
2: totally. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, you know, just sugarcoating it and only telling half the truth yes. at the end of the day really isn't impacting me at all. It's impacting the individual who's saying it. Right. And I didn't know that at the start. I thought I'll just tell them a little bit. Right. It's those half truths that just do not work.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
2: Is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with before we uh, shut her down for today Sonia any words of wisdom
0: yeah I mean I think that um, yeah the part that took me the mm-hmm. longest to talk about was the mental health part mm-hmm. and I think that it's really important to keep in mind that some people you are self-medicating something and there's no shame in getting help for that and admitting that mm-hmm. and I think that yeah I think that that alcohol isn't, it's not just the addiction, right? Like there's something behind it. And, yeah. and it's important at some point to figure out what that is.
2: For sure. Yeah. I uh, quote that same type of topic quite often about, you know, the alcohol and the drugs weren't my problem. They were the solution to all my problems. Yes. And once he took that away from me, I still was me and I still had the problem. So now what do I do?
0: That's exactly it. Right. Yeah. And you, and that's what you realize in the first few months of sobriety, it's like, Yeah. The alcohol is gone, but I'm still like freaking out. Like I still have anxiety. I still have. Yeah. I just, now I don't have the solution. So I have to come up with something
2: else. Yeah. And that's the beauty of what you do, what we do and what a lot of the guests on this show do is we help you figure out what those solutions might be for you. We can't tell you what they are because I have no idea, but we can sure help you walk that path and we'll find them together. Yeah. Agreed. Fascinating stuff. Well, once again, I just really want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and coming on to share, you know, parts of your personal life, which is, my goodness, that's so courageous. And I love when people have the courage to come on and share, right? Because I know, I just know, I met with a gentleman yesterday who I shared in a circle of, uh, I won't give too many details, but shared in a large room what we do and parts of my story. And uh, turns out one of the leaders of that group phoned and needs support, right? So it's, you never know who's listening and might need to hear it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Well, thanks so much for having me. This was great.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Like I said, we'll have all of uh, Everbloom and Sonia's contact info in the footnotes and uh, we'll stay in touch for sure. It's, you just never know, right? We get a lot of people reaching out from all over the place now that this podcast is getting bigger and now we have some connections out East. So we've got a few, we've added a few more and, and likewise, you know, anybody who's out West that uh, needs some support out in this area, don't be afraid to send them our way. I will. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And you enjoy your, your time in Toronto and your commute back to uh, Pennsylvania (laughs) when you head back there. Thanks Ryan. Right on. Thank you very much. And with that, uh, we're going to pull the pin on this episode of from darkness to life. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. Um, continue sending that feedback if you got any comments or maybe a guest that you want to hear on the show or you know a lot of people reach out and they say hey how do you find your guests well it's as simple as people sharing our show and and creating interest so let us know what you think um and check out all our social media and our website as well for any of the services that uh, we offer so thanks again and we'll see you all next week
1: from darkness to life is an hour collective journey podcast These are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey. If you or a loved one needs support, please reach out to OurCollectiveJourney.ca. Our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery. Consider showing your support by donating online at OurCollectiveJourney.ca. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Crookshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive.